Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Make Earth Think Again podcast. I want to start off uh, quickly by saying uh, sorry for not producing a podcast over the last five days or so. Uh, there's two reasons for this. The first is that I wanted to get um, enough good stories together for a podcast so it could be a bit more extended. And the second reason was actually trying to find enough time, but it's kind of a good reason as well because it meant that I could wait until uh, better stories came out, including the one that I'm going to be starting off today with. And this is one that's coming out as I record this. And it is the news about the FBI uh, saying, with their claims about uh, ties to Russia with President Trump, and uh, the talk about uh, the wiretapping um, stories that are coming out from President Trump. And whilst not everything has been said at the moment, uh, by the time this does go live, there is a good chance that everything would have been said. I'm going to kind of come out and say this. The FBI at the moment, along with the CIA, are not that trustworthy. Like, until they... They're about as trustworthy at the moment as Donald Trump and his claims with wiretapping. Until we actually see any evidence from a reputable source, or it's at least confirmed by a reputable source, then we've got to take everything that's being said at the moment with a pinch of salt. Because at the moment it feels to me, from what is out there in the public, that the claims about wiretapping are more rely not reliable are more repute no that's not the best word they sound more realistic and there's more evidence suggesting that it's real than there is for the claims to russia because the claims about russia seem to be more deniable by people and organizations such as wikileaks and edward snowden especially with the whole vault 7 stuff whereby you know, there is the possibility that you, if you create a hack, you can make it look like somebody else did it. You know, that seems more, you know, accurate, more realistic, you know, that happening than Russia actually doing, you know, actually colluding. Especially when you've got, you know, Russia saying, yeah, we talked to both candidates. You know, we've talked about stuff you know, extensively. You shouldn't just be focusing on President Trump. You should also be focusing on Senator Clinton. Which is a fair enough thing to point out. And you got to remember as well on that kind of point. That the FBI, these were the people that were looking into the claim for Hillary Clinton's emails. And you know, there was actual evidence for that that came out by WikiLeaks. And yet that investigation was a proper kind of on-off, on-off kind of thing. So I feel like with this, you know, I, it's hard to kind of gauge where they're trying to go with all this. But, I mean, at the moment, in terms of wiretapping people have been trying to piece stuff together i know that uh, there was a thing that came out from infowars you know you take that as you will that uh, suggested that uh, trump had been wiretapped since 2008 you can look into that how much you want to but you know if people are able to piece more things together about wiretapping and the um wikileaks and fbi aren't disputing those claims whereas the claims against you know the claims about russia 
are being disputed by you know WikiLeaks and by Edward Snowden, then I'm more inclined to take the side of you know wiretapping is more likely to be an actual thing, and the whole Russia colluding with President Trump. Whilst it could be a thing, I believe it's more likely to be a non-issue. But we don't fully know anything yet. The last update I had on the report I'm looking at, which is the one by the BBC. Take that again as you will. Uh, the last thing that was put out was a Obama spokesperson dismissing the claims of wiretapping. Which, to me, there's no point in saying that. Because I, I don't know about you, but I don't think... You know, Obama is going to be like, yeah, well, you call me red-handed here. Yeah, I definitely did. You know, they're going to dispute it as much as they can until you know they honestly can't. So you know, to have a spokesperson come out and say, yeah, nothing's happened, it's really, you know, it's not worth your breath in terms of talking about that stuff. Of course, you're going to say, you know, nothing happened. So. I mean, we do have to see what else comes out, because at the moment it is still just an ongoing investigation. You know, there's no full concrete result that's come out of it. We're still waiting on, you know, that to come out. And, you know, they've been going apparently since July in terms of looking into the Russia story. And yet, you know, what has come out is nothing really. You know, Russia have been the only person that come out that's come out with stuff and they've said yeah we've talked to president trump but we talked to each presidential candidate yeah the only reason they you know these claims are coming forward more than anything is the idea that russia has had a preference towards trump i don't know about you but i think anybody can have a preference towards anyone you know during this presidential election i had a bit more of a preference towards trump as well and that was because i didn't really like you know the actions committed by hillary clinton along with stuff like the emails and the email server and you know podesta and all that kind of stuff that's why i didn't like her and that's why i preferred donald trump i thought they were both equal in some regard but what hillary clinton had done kind of edged, edged her out as being the devil in in some sense but, you know, Russia, as a country, can have a preference for who they want to win, you know, however open they want that to be, in the same way that, you know, Britain can have a preference, in the same way that France can have a preference, you know, in the same way that any country and any person can have a preference for who they want. And, you know, like I said before, you know, with the evidence that has come out over the last couple of weeks, I believe that, you know, we... That Russia, there is a very good chance that they had nothing to do with the hacking. You know, I feel like, you know, if there was any hacking, it would have been something that was covered up. By who, I don't know. But, you know, Russia as a country, in terms of hackers, don't, they, they're not inexperienced in any way. It doesn't feel like it, at least. I feel like, you know, if they wanted to do anything, they would push... They would, you know, make it so it didn't look like them doing it and make it look like, you know, any other country like China or whatever. Don't know why they would, but, you know, they can choose any country they want to make it look like. I don't know about you, but they're not going to make it look like their own country unless, you know, there's going to be some people saying that, you know, that they're trying to bluff us. It was actually them, but they're making us think like that. But, you know, I don't think that's what they would be doing. 
you know, it doesn't seem right in any way. So, uh, overall, in terms of this story, I feel like until something gets confirmed by somebody more independent, like WikiLeaks, like Edward Snowden, until they can actually come out and say something, I'm still going to take you know the word of the FBI, the word of the CIA, the words of the NSA, or anybody else that has affiliation with a grain of salt. Even you know, journalists, you know, until you know somebody or or group, you know, that is reputable, can you know fully confirm something of which you know there isn't, you know, there isn't a group at the moment, or there isn't a person at the moment reputable enough to confirm any of this I don't think at the moment there's you know much to really you know say that it's actually a thing and with that I'm going to move into the second big story that's happened over uh, the time that I haven't been doing the podcast and that is sadly the news of another terrorist attack over in France this is the news that a man um, in northern Paris grabbed um, a policewoman's gun, was able to shoot her, then drive towards Orly Airport, managed to carjack um, somewhere uh, in the Paris region, and when getting to Orly Airport, was shot down after he tried to grab a uh, air force uh, policeman or policewoman's uh, rifle and you know, this is you know devastating news uh, the reports come out saying that um, that this was a radicalized uh, Muslim uh, saying that he did this in the name in, in the name of Allah um, and you know, this is you know, this is really bad. What's been happening in you know, France? There is um, a bit of news that came out uh, on Twitter thanks to Paul Joseph Watson. Uh, this isn't any spin or anything. Uh, this is literally getting um, notes from uh, Wikipedia that suggest that there has been over the past. Uh, 26 months since January 2015 there have been 20 terror attacks committed by Islamic radicals in France it works out at the moment that there's a terrorist attack uh, well at least a radical Islamic terrorist attack once every five weeks in France and of course you know that includes the Charlie Hebdo shootings, this includes uh, the November 2015 Paris attacks, uh, this includes the vehicle ramming uh, that took place on July 14th um, when uh, Bastille Day was being uh, celebrated and this all comes down to because to me it feels like at the moment because you got to remember as well, you know, you can't just say it's all foreigners that are doing this. Because the last attack that just happened, that was a French national that, you know, this happened to. Um, you know, this happened with. 
I believe I'm right in saying this per uh, the person that did commit this crime um, was on a watch list beforehand, um, and um, as it says in the report that I've got here, uh, he fell under the influence of Islamic radicals whilst uh, he was serving prison time. So. I mean, it isn't really a problem in terms of nationality, necessarily, but at the same time, it feels like there is a problem with integration, to some extent, to some extent, because, I don't know about you, but I feel like, if any other religion, at the moment, you know, was to go to any other country, other than you know, the native country of that religion, I feel like integration wouldn't be a problem. I don't know about you, but I reckon you could put any person, any Christian person from Britain, drop them into, you know, the Hindu regions of India, and there's not going to be a problem. In the same sense that if you grab, you know, a person from, you know, a Sikh region of uh, India, and plop them in America, in a really Catholic region, there's not going to be a problem either. You know, they're going to respect that you know, people do have different beliefs. They're going to stick to their belief whilst not threatening the belief of others. And the only religion at the moment that threatens that idea of integration at the moment is Islam. Because you have, you know, these people that are doing these uh, terror attacks in the name of Allah, you know, many people, you know, will say that, you know, this is not in the aim name of Allah, but at the same time, it does say in the Quran, if you're trying to protect your faith, which many of these jihads will um, believe that they that's what they are doing, they are rewarded, as it does say in the Quran, you know, at the gates of paradise with 72 virgins. So... You know, it does feel like this is a problem at the moment with integration. You know, I remember seeing a report um, in the UK nearly a year ago now that suggested that nearly 100% of all Muslims in the UK believe that um, being gay as a lifestyle was uh, wrong. That, to me, shows a lack of integration. Because... You need to accept that people do believe it to be right and yet you're still saying that it is wrong and I can't remember what percentage it was from that study said that uh, being gay should be punishable uh, like as an offence. That to me shows lack of integration and we're only seeing this lack of integration from Muslims. So you know and with that in terms of this lack of integration, we're starting to see more um, the idea of Le Pen in France. I was going to talk about this story a little later on, but Le Pen has been getting you know further and further forward in the polls. Uh, there was a report that came out from uh, West Monster that uh, suggested that uh, Le Pen was... Um, at a 39% approval rating from the young French audience, with at the moment uh, rivals such as Emmanuel Macron at 21% and 
and uh, Philon at 9%. Uh, at this moment, I feel like Le Pen has got a very strong chance of winning. Like, a, uh, There's no reason to suggest otherwise at this point, because there's you know, no reason why she shouldn't because every time every time she you know the these attacks come out throughout Europe there's always an extra bit you know an extra couple of points that she gains in the polls and i don't think you know anytime soon that there'll be a dip everything is playing to her in a sense because you know, we had the um, investigation into Philon and uh, the corruption with him and his family. And, you know, he was the main, at the time, the main rival to Le Pen. It felt like it would be him versus Le Pen in the second round of the election. But at the moment, it seems more and more like it will be Le Pen and somebody else. But that somebody else has got a lesser chance than Philon, than Philon ever had. That's what it feels like, at least. I'm going to see if I can try and find uh, another report that I saw uh, today. I believe it was on the BBC, but I'm not 100% sure. Let me have a look. This was the news in the Telegraph um, coming out saying how Le Pen, the only person really that has a chance against her is Macron and at the moment there's a one point difference between them and it feels like um, Fidon and Hamon really won't have a chance against her it definitely feels like um, you know these are the two that are going to go through to the second round and it does feel like Le Pen has got a very strong chance of winning it. The only other, um, the only other reason why Le Pen would win, which is very unlikely to happen, is if she already gets fifty percent in round one, which is very unlikely to happen, but it's still a possibility. So it just feels like at this moment in time, Le Pen has got a stupidly strong chance of winning this like unlike with the dutch elections whereby you know there's no room there's no chance of there being you know just an outstanding winner you know the french elections are designed for there to be you know such a thing so we will have to see how it breaks down but i i feel confident enough in saying that le pen you know i feel like i could put money on le pen winning like, it doesn't seem too ridiculous in that happening. In terms of other news happening at the moment, uh, the election, of course, happened in the Netherlands, which saw um, Root maintain his position as Prime Minister of the Netherlands. Uh, in total, he lost eight seats. Um... Whereas Gert Wilders uh, gained five seats and 
the Freedom Party is now the second party, the second biggest party in um, the Dutch government. And loads of people are marking this as um, world as being, you know, crushed. Uh, it says in the BBC report, uh, defeated. Um, but as um, a quote that was uh, put out uh, after the election, I'm going to see if I can try and get it uh, now. Uh, Gert Wilders said, uh, we were the third largest party of the Netherlands. Now we are the second largest. Next time we'll be number one. Which is a nice and optimistic way of putting how it was because uh, you know, many people assumed, yeah, he's really not going to win because nobody's wanting to go into coalition with him. You know, there's not really as big of a chance of him going first. You know, there is a possibility, but even at that point, you know, he he would still have to find coalition with people, and nobody wants to. So, with that being said, it in some respects it is a victory for the Freedom Party because they were able to gain more seats in government, which you know, a small step. But a step nonetheless, uh, which is you know a good thing to come out. You know he's still going to be a thorn in the side of the rest of the Dutch government. You know anything he says will be backed up by you know many people throughout the Netherlands, including Rotterdam, which is a place that sees you know the adverse effects of what um, Gert Wilders is, is campaigning against. So. You know, it will be, you know, fun to see what actually comes out for the next couple of years from the Netherlands. You know, is there a chance of them leaving the European Union since there is, you know, such a big outcry for it? I feel like, you know, for the Netherlands, you know, at the moment it is worth them having some form of referendum in the same way that Britain did just to see... You know what people actually believe because there will be a lot of people that would have chosen to vote against the Freedom Party because of the rest of their uh, policies in the same way that many people didn't vote for UKIP because of the rest of their policies but that still prompted the Conservative Party to have the uh, policy of having a referendum you know, in 2016 which went through the vote got casted you know brexit you know is a thing uh and with that i'm gonna move on to the next story i was gonna bring this up a little later on but now is a better time than ever and that is the news that brexit now has a date uh the date confirmed now will be the 29th of march um that's at least the date for the triggering of Article 50. Which will mean now the formal process will go through, the negotiations will start. And it's going to be a very tense moment um, for Britain. Because once that is triggered, two, we've got two years, a two-year limit in terms of getting the negotiations sorted out, which does seem like a long time, but that can go very differently. Very quickly, even. 
in terms of negotiations and getting everything sorted. Now, hopefully it should go through in terms of being allowed to exit. They're not exactly going to stop us, but it is going to come down to uh, what um, what negotiations do go through, what deals are made. Hopefully they do go in the favour of Britain, as I would try and hope for. You know, but we don't know what deals will come through because I feel like uh, with this, the European Union itself will try and make things as harsh as possible for Britain. However, the members of the European Union don't want it as harsh. They want to be able to have trade with Britain because it's of economical benefit to Britain. So we have to kind of see where this goes. I feel like many of the uh, members of the European Union will be asking the Union to not be as harsh on them. You know, maybe make it so it's a bit more mutual in terms of uh, feelings. You know, they're not going to be as damaging towards it for the fact that you know, many of the countries will want their own deals that would benefit them. You know, everybody wants to get the most out of this situation, which is fair enough. In terms of other news, um, the news has come out that a federal judge in Hawaii has blocked the travel ban just a few hours before it was set to go through. As I pause the video being played on the news article that I've got open. Um, but it is a shame that this has not gone through as intended to. Because with the bill, with the executive order, is it illegal? No. Is it constitutional? Yes. It doesn't go against the constitution. It doesn't go against the law or international law. This is very democratic what's being done. And yet you have, you know, a judge in Hawaii that has blocked it on the feeling what it feels like is just because he felt like it, which shouldn't be happening. You know, this is something, whether you like it or not, is allowed to go through legally. And if the president wants it to go through, should go through. You shouldn't be interrupting because it doesn't suit your interests. That's the you know that's the discussion made by Congress. That's the discussion made by the politicians that debate this. That's not the decision of the courts. The decision of the courts is to uphold the law, and no law is being broken by this um, executive order. So I don't get why this judge should be doing what he is doing because that goes against his job of enforcing the law. He's going against the law. Yeah, you know, he is allowed, you know, Trump is allowed to do this. And yet it's being stopped. So, yeah, I I'm not too keen about what's being said about that. It should go through, but it's not and you know, now it's having to go through the higher court system you know, to get everything sorted out, which is just gonna you know, make things longer. Hopefully, the higher, you know, the Supreme Court can see that what is happening is legal and won't just stop it. And if it does, then it's 
we're just going to go through another cycle of you know Trump having to redo the executive order even though at the moment it seems fine you know it has to be reworded again and we're going to go through this whole ordeal until it feels like the only time this is going to stop is when the courts just can't be bothered or you know one party just can't be bothered like Trump even though I don't feel like he'll want to back down at any time in terms of not backing down in other news um it looks like Theresa May has kept her stance in terms of the second Scottish in, uh, independence referendum um, as she doesn't want it to go through at the moment, which is fair enough uh, because at the moment, you know, the government have already got their hands full with the whole uh, triggering of Article 50 and dealings with the European Union. So it's fair enough that she doesn't want to go ahead with a referendum. But at the same time, you've got to consider that you can still accept the idea of the referendum. Just push it to a time that's a lot later. I mean, in my opinion, the best time would be a lot more in advance. Sort of more like 2020 time, whereby the whole two-year period of negotiations with the European Union is complete you know, in its entirety you know 2020 won't interfere with all that kind of stuff you know, the only interference at the moment with not having the referendum is the idea that you know scotland will be wanting the clause of if you know we do leave the european union in two years time we want to be able to join back if we ha do gain independence which is fair enough at this point but you know, we have to kind of see what Theresa May will do about this because you know, she's not wanting this referendum to go through at the moment, at least. You know, I don't think she's just going to deny it outright, you know, not let it happen ever. And I don't think she should you know, completely stop it, you know, make it so it never happens ever in her uh, president, not presidency, premiership is best word to put to put it so we have to wait and see what will actually come out from this um but you know it's fair enough that she doesn't want to be dealing with this because there's other things to be dealing with at the moment you know you know prom more prominently that being the whole ordeal with the european union so you know it's fair enough that she doesn't want to go ahead with the independence vote. Uh, in other news, um, Donald Trump has had uh, the budget cuts uh, pushed towards Congress, which I'm not really the biggest fan of with this. And the reason why I'm not the biggest fan of this was because I wanted it to be more refined. I wanted there to be more drafts when it came to um, making a more complete budget cut. Uh, I felt felt that there were some changes that need to be made, you know, however big or small they may be, and there was value arg valid arguments coming from both sides. So I feel like uh, it's good that it's going through Congress because they can have their criticisms about it properly, and if they don't want it to go through, which I feel like there's a very strong chance that it will not, because there are many Republicans that are 
against um, the proposed budget cuts and budget reshuffling that I doubt it will go through and have to be redrafted. But it's amazing to see how hysterical people are getting about uh, the budget cuts and the budget changes. Uh, a great example of this, and I'm actually going to try and find a, a link to it so I can put into the uh, description of the podcast, um, is how is the reaction with the Meals on Wheels uh, initiative. Because right now everybody's getting hysterical because federal funding for it is being cut. Uh, I can't remember if it's in its entirety or a a very strong proportion of it. But, you know, it's still money that's being cut. But the thing is, though, if it was... um, If it was just... If it was the full amount that the government puts into the Meals on Wheels scheme, that is only 3% of the Meals on Wheels budget in total. The rest of it comes from donations. And with that, um, and with that, um, a, fl- a massive influx of donations came through. I think it was a total of a 500% increase in donations. So even though the government doesn't fund the Meals on Wheels, Enough people are donating that it can feed, you know, the the Meals on Wheels system. I think it was uh, five times over. So, yeah. I don't see why people are getting so hysterical about literally 3%. Like, there are bigger things to worry about. And the only other thing I can really think about worrying about is... Um, with the EPA getting a budget cut, and even then, I'm going to be moving on to my next uh, story that I want to talk about. This is the news coming out from Sean Hannity, um, and that is the news that um, the EPA under uh, Trump's administration will be investing $100 million into the Flint water relief system. It's taken... I want to say now two years, or at least I think I think I'm right in saying it started in 2015. The whole um, the whole disaster that is uh, Flint and the water there. It's taken that long for there to be, you know, money being pumped in by the EPA, and they're only doing it right now when you know they're getting a budget cut. It, it amazes me how, like, how people are not thinking into this. You know, there's barely any news about this. And it's a big thing. Even though they're getting a budget cut, they're still able to do something that wasn't happening in the last administration. It baffles me how people are not picking up on this, because this is a major thing. Finally, you know, something's happening about Flint, which which was a major thing going into the US election. Uh, I think, you know, on you know, some people's minds, you know, people that do care about the environment, was how will Flint be sorted out? And it's finally being sorted out. I can't believe it's taken so long. And like I said, this is coming 
at a time whereby the EPA is losing money, and yet they're still able to pump in a hundred million dollars into sorting out Flint and the problems that they've got. So I don't know about you, but even though the EPA is getting a cut, they're still able to have an effect in the country. So you know, I don't think it is all too much of a problem with what's been happening. I've got two more stories to go with. The first comes out, both of these come out from the US and the first talks about North Korea um, and it is the news coming out from Rex uh, Tillerson saying that military action against North Korea is an option. It is an opened up option for them. So it is amazing to see what will happen. You know, will military action actually take place? You know, I'm hoping it won't because I don't think anybody really wants a war at any point ever. So it will be amazing to see you know, if it is an option that the US does take because especially with uh, Trump's budget you know, adjusting for more money going into the military, will military action be something that the US will happily fund? And I would, you know, hazard a guess at saying, yes, they're willing to go to war against, um, against North Korea. I don't think anybody really wants it, but there is a very big chance of it happening. And the last story I'm going to be talking about is changes to Obamacare, uh, GOP care, whatever you want to call it at this point, the healthcare plan for America. And it is the news that um, the health bill is going to be changing to boost benefits for the elderly in America. This is a good thing to see. Uh, as we end this on a more positive note, it's good to see that... You know, the Republicans are making the necessary revisions that everybody was looking for. You know, it's good to see that these revisions are coming through. They are, you know, hearing the um, criticisms coming out from both sides. And changes are being made. And I'm hoping that as this continues, more and more revisions can be made. You know... So that we actually get a healthcare plan that people actually want. You know, people will actually get what they've been asking for and everybody can be happy with this because at the moment, you know, Obamacare is not making some people happy. The proposed changes with GOP care, Trump care, whatever you want to call it, making other people unhappy you know, with there being, you know, an intersection between, you know, people that aren't happy about both. But I feel like we will get to a point whereby everybody is happy with the healthcare plan. And rightfully so. This is something that is going to take, you know, a big, you know, this is a big milestone in terms of Trump's presidency, is sorting out the healthcare plan. Because that was a big part of his campaign. So hopefully everything will go according to plan in terms of having the right revisions, making sure you know the healthcare plan is tailored to everybody's needs without putting too much of a strain 
on the government. So hopefully everything will go to plan. Um, and with that, I want to say thank you for listening. Uh, this has been the Make uh, Think Again podcast, and I will see you on the next episode.